To be honest, I'm, I'm not really sure why she called me the night that she did. I don't know if she was looking to, to justify herself or, or what. And, and to this day, I'm still not exactly sure the purpose of the phone call. She grew up in a Christian household. Uh, and as she grew up, she heard what God had to say uh, about sex and about how uh, you weren't supposed to sleep around until you're married. Then you sleep around in your marriage, right? Uh, not around with other people. And yet as she grew up, those passions, those desires got the best of her. And eventually, it led to a, a child out of wedlock. There was remorse. There was embarrassment. There, there were uh, things said like, this will never happen again. There were things said that I'm, I'm going to wait until I'm married next time. There are things, there was things said with I'm going to go back to church and, and get connected to Jesus again. And there was repentance. By the time she called me that night, rumors had been swirling around that she was back to sleeping around. And so after we had all this small talk and all this chit-chat, uh, I finally took the opportunity to ask her, so how's the celibacy thing going? Well, Pastor, you know, the, the, the desires and, and the pleasures, you know how they are. They're, they're, they're hard to fight, and, and it's hard to quit something cold turkey. Besides, Jesus forgives me anyways. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said it yourself? Because that's the tension in the Christian life, isn't it? If grace wins, do my actions matter? If I can spill all of this sin onto the floor and Jesus comes through with His mop of grace and mops it all up, does it matter if I sin or not? Or can I have my cake and eat it too? Can I give in to the passions and pleasures that I so desperately want to and then just turn to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, forgive me, and my slate's my, my, I'm wiped clean again. This is the argument that Paul takes on in Romans chapter 6, and this is what we're going to be answering today, is how does a Christian deal with sin? And Paul has very direct instructions for us. If you're just joining us, let me give you a recap of Romans. Romans chapter one, chapters 1 through 4. Do you remember the key phrase through those first four chapters? By faith. By faith. Paul says faith 35 times in the first four chapters. And what does it all have to do with? You are justified, declared innocent in God's sight by faith. And only by faith. Chapter 5 is a transition chapter. Now Paul says, you are declared innocent in God's sight through faith in Jesus as your Savior. What does this look like in our lives? And in chapter 6, he says this justification, this declared innocent in God's sight by, through Jesus and through your faith, impacts your day-to-day -day life with sin. And that's what we're going to talk about. What we're going to see is grace wins, so that I don't have to go back. I don't have to go back to living how I used to. Romans chapter 6, that's where we're at today, beginning with verse 1. Here's what Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means! 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So, can I have my cake and eat it too? Can, can I just sin and it's no big deal because, hey, grace wins anyways? God's going to forgive me? Paul says, by no means. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Let it not be. By no means. Why? We are those who have died to sin. And so your first point, if you're following along in your worship folder, is this. Your relationship with sin is dead. Your relationship with sin is dead. There are many different marriage vows, aren't there? Raise your hand. When you got married, did you, how many of you actually wrote your own vows? Anybody? Not a, not a single person. My hand would be down too because I didn't write my own. Uh, the pastor told me what to say. But, uh, but they're my vows, not pastor's vows. <laughs> but how does each marriage vow end? It ends with something along the lines of, I'm going to love you, I'm going to be faithful, until death do us part, until death parts us. Paul's point is that when you were born into this world, when I was born into this world, we were born in a relationship with sin. We had a vow to be loving, to be faithful to sin. And sin was an abusive lover. Sin caused us shame. Sin caused us guilt. Sin controlled us. Sin was our master. And we were his slave. It was not a good relationship. But, but, your relationship with sin died. It's over. The vow to be faithful to sin, the vow to love sin, the vow to be controlled by sin, it's broken. How and where? In your baptism. In your baptism. Look at what Paul says. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Your relationship with sin is done, right? And in order for the vow to be broken, someone has to die. But it wasn't sin. You died. What? Pastor, I'm very much alive. What are you talking about? I died. Well, look again what Paul says. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we were born into this world, we were born in that relationship with sin. We were born as someone who loves sin. And Paul says, in our baptism, when that water connected with the Word of God, we were baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as that water washed over our head, what happened? That self that loved sin, that old sinful self, died, drowned, and you were buried. And so that vow to sin 
has been broken. Death has parted you from sin. And then what happens? As you come up and leave the baptismal font, you are raised with Jesus to live a new life. Your identity is, your last name is no longer sin. That's not your identity. You are free from your relationship with sin. And this is why we have our baptismal font out every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, whether we have a baptism or not, this is out. Why? Because it's a reminder that here, in the waters of baptism, your sinful self died and was buried with Christ in the tomb. And you are now living a new life. You're living new. You are no longer identified with your sin. That relationship has been broken because you died. You died. This can't be a mere symbol. This can't be something I do to profess my faith in Jesus. No, look, Paul says you died in baptism. Your identity shifted in your baptism. You're no longer Mr. or Mrs. Sin because that relationship is done. The vow has been broken. Think of the amazing truth that this is for your life. When God looks at you, what does He see? He doesn't see a sinner. He doesn't. He sees somebody who is brand new. Someone who's living a new life. He doesn't see somebody filled with guilt. He doesn't see somebody filled with shame. He doesn't see somebody who has been broken and abused by sin and controlled by sin. No. He's, that person has died. And you are free. You are free from that relationship with sin. That's why Paul cannot believe he, he cannot understand why somebody would say, well, okay, if grace wins, let me keep living in sin. Paul says, are you crazy? By no means. You died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Have you heard that phrase, living in sin? It's a churchy phrase. So if you haven't, that's okay. It's not living with sin, it's living in sin. We all live with sin. Because while we're here on earth, none of us are going to be perfect. We still struggle with sin. Sin still gets us. Living in sin is different. And that's what Paul's talking about. Living in sin is this mentality. You plan to sin. You carry out that sin. You don't feel bad for that sin. And you plan to do that sin again. That's living in sin. You know what God says about it, and you just don't care. You're going to plan to sin that way. You're not, you carry it out. You're not sorry, and you're going to do it again. That's living in sin. Paul says, how in the world could we do this when, when that's not our identity anymore? Sin is not our identity. How could we possibly do this? And so we have to ask ourselves a really tough question this morning. Where in your life are you living in sin? Where is it where you plan to sin, you don't feel bad for sinning, where you plan to do it again and you will carry it out? For some of you, is it pornography or lust? Looking at things that you know that God says not to and yet you plan on doing it, you carry it out, and you plan on doing it again? 
For others, is it, uh, is it making your spouse feel bad and not showing mercy? For others, is, is it alcohol? In order to relax at night, do you need to have a drink or three or five in order to, to relax? In order to have a good time, do you need to go out and, and drink? Is that what a good time is? And you plan to do it? And you're not sorry for it, you're going to do it again? Is it for some of you? The, the lack of forgiveness in your life? The lack of mercy to others? And you don't plan to show mercy? You don't plan to forgive? You're going to continue holding on? Sometimes we even try to justify ourselves by saying, well, this is just how I am, right? Guys, how often don't we just say, well, I'm a guy and, and, and that's, I'm just a guy. As if that justifies our actions. Women, you do this too. It's that time of the month. And that's your excuse for your emotional outbursts. Some of us just say, well, I'm just a worrier. Well, I'm just stubborn. Well, I'm just a spender. As if that justifies us living in sin. If that describes you today, know that Paul would say, by no means. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No. Your relationship with sin has died. Why are you continuing to live in this? Why are you continuing to make excuses? Why are you not changing what you're doing? Because by no means can we continue to live in sin. Because it's not who we are anymore. And so if you're continuing to live in sin, know that you're, masquer you're masquerading around as someone that you're not. You are playing Halloween and you're dressing up in your old sinful self, running around, doing things that you know you're not supposed to be doing because I've got a different identity on. God says that's not who you are. If you want to be real morbid about it, it's like you went into Christ's tomb where he says that you're buried and you put on the skin of your old self and you're running around as your old identity. And God says, stop it. This is not you. This is not who you are because in your baptism, you were buried with Christ. You died. Your vow to sin has been broken. You don't have to be faithful to it anymore. You don't have to love it anymore. You are free from sin. You don't have to go back because you're new. And so that begs the question. Alright. If my identity is not Mr. Sin, what is my identity? Paul tells us. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. What is your identity? You're united to Jesus. You're united to Jesus. Here's the thing. 
It, it's not like when, when you died to sin, when that vow has been broken because you died, you don't become a spiritual single person. There's no spiritual neutral. There's no spiritual single person. You're either in a relationship with sin or you've been united to Jesus. And that's what you are through your baptism. You have been united to Jesus. And that Greek word for united means grown together, identified with Jesus. That's your identity. You are identified with Jesus. No longer a sin your last name. Jesus is your last name. Kind of weird to think about, but it's true. You've been united to Him. And because you're united to Him, Paul says you have three benefits. Number one, if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So number one, you're united to Jesus, and what does that mean? Death no longer controls you. Death no longer has mastery over you. But the same power that rose Jesus from the grave will raise you from the grave because you're united to Jesus. Number two, for we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The second blessing. Ready? You're forgiven. You are forgiven. You are set free from sin, from the control of sin, from the power of sin, from the consequence of sin. You are set free because why? You've been united to Jesus and you've been crucified with Him. There, all of your sins were paid for and you are forgiven. And finally, number three. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The third way you're united to Jesus is in this new life that you live, the life that you live to God. Paul says, just like 2 plus 2 equals 4, no matter what country you're in, no matter where you're at in the universe, you can count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. You can count it. And this is all yours because you've been united to Jesus in your baptism. Your identity has shifted from a sinner to one who's been united to Jesus. But wait a minute. I just get all this through faith in Jesus? I don't have to do anything? Of course. We even have rules like this in, in our society, in our culture, right? If there is a, a, somebody who, who worked hard, business savvy, and they are rich, and they marry a poor person, does that poor person remain poor when they marry that rich person? No. The, the, the state even recognizes that. What's mine is yours. That poor person becomes rich simply by being identified and united to their spouse. And that's true with you in Jesus. You get all of these riches from Jesus simply by being united to Him through your baptism and faith in Him as your Savior. This is the radical identity shift that happens in our baptism. And now, we want to live for Jesus, right? We want to live 
for Jesus. It's an incredible identity shift where we don't want to go back to that same sinful lifestyle. There's a story of uh, the theologian named Augustine. He lived around 350 A.D. Before Augustine was a Christian, he lived a very promiscuous lifestyle. He, he solicited women all the time. And, and after he became a Christian, he was walking down the road one day when uh, one of the women that he used to solicit said, Hey, Augustine, you want to go upstairs? And he politely said, No, no thank you. And the woman thought that Augustine didn't recognize her, so she ran after him and said, No, Augustine, wait, no. It's I. It's, it's me. And he said, That may be true, but it's no longer me. Yes, it's me, but uh, I'm not me anymore. I'm a new me. And here's what he said after that. He said about this incident, I used to be a person who had female affection, and they were never about love. They were about me. I used to be a person who had to have it and was driven by it. It was my master. But I have a new master now. And when I think of what he thinks of me, I don't need this anymore. That's living your new identity. That's living for the one who has completely changed your life, who has freed you from the master of sin. You are Jesus's. And when you soak in everything He thinks of you, everything He's done for you, you don't want to go back to sin. You want to live for Jesus. So now what? Now what do we do? Paul closes out. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Your last point today. Live to please Jesus, not sin. Paul says, do not let sin, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any parts of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. We want to change from our ways. We don't want to offer any part of our body for wickedness, but we want to offer every part of our body for righteousness. But do you know it's hard? Sin, passions, pleasures, desires, they are strong. They are strong. And yet as strong as they are, your Jesus is stronger. His power is stronger. And we want to intentionally and drastically offer ourselves as instruments for righteousness. So what does this mean? A couple things. Number one, some of you who have a spending problem, what does this mean? Maybe it goes, you go home and you cut up your credit cards because you're going to take drastic measures to not let sin reign. For others of you, it's the exact opposite. You find security in, in your money, in your bank account. And so what does that mean? Your, bank, your money is becoming your God. And that's where you find your security. That's where you find your peace. That's where you find everything that God's supposed to be offering to you. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go home and say, I'm going to give 
10% or more to my God because I'm not going to let sin reign. I'm not going to let this become my idol. I'm going to use it for righteousness. Some of you who, who have a judgmental problem and a comparison problem, that means you're going to go home and you're going to get off social media. You can live without Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these things. If it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Get rid of it. That means that if you have a porn problem or a, a, a problem where you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, go home and cancel your internet. And if you can't cancel your internet, get a, a program like Covenant Eyes and, and find a, a non-judgmental Christian friend, or me, uh, and set me up as your Covenant Eyes. And then when you click on something you're not supposed to, I get notified when you're clicking on an, uh, a website you're not supposed to be looking at. Why do we do this? Because we don't want to offer ourselves as instruments of wickedness. One more. If you have a problem with alcohol, go home and dump it all. No alcohol in your house. If it leads to you being an instrument of wickedness, let's get rid of it. Because we are free from sin. Sin is no longer our master. Instead, let's offer every part of ourselves for an instrument of righteousness to Jesus. And the key in all of this? Soaking in His love. Soaking in His forgiveness. Soaking in just what He did to free me from sin. Because the more love I get from Jesus, the less I want to go back to sin. And so soak it in this week. Live in His love. Live in His forgiveness. Live this new identity that He's given for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank You that You have changed our identity. We are no longer sinners, but we are uh, righteous in Your sight, and we are united with You. And so every blessing that You have, we have because we have been grown together in You, united to You, identified with You. Today, Lord, we offer every single part of ourselves for an instrument of righteousness. Take our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, every single part of our body, and let us use them for Your glory and for Your righteousness. Uh, keep us from wickedness, keep us from sin, and help us to live for you. Be with us this week as we carry this out. Amen.